This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Welcome to a recap of our latest Third Thursday webinar. Hear directly from expert panelists as they discuss Parkinson's research and answer your questions about living with the disease. Join us live next time by registering for an upcoming webinar at michaeljfox.org. and thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Sonia Mather. I've had Parkinson's for about 24 years and I'm co-chair here at the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council and I have the pleasure of being your moderator today. We're well into the beginning of a new year. It's a time for reflection, a time to commit to new healthy habits, and a time for resolutions. So it seems appropriate for us to dedicate our first third Thursday webinar of the year to discussing strategies, healthy eating, exercising, building your care team, and boosting your brain health those things that will help you to live well with this disease and really as we age in general. Well, we've got a lot to discuss today, so let's get started. It is my privilege to introduce our panelists. Dr. Gregory Pontone is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at John Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland, where amongst a lot of things, he's also the director of the John Hopkins Disease, Parkinson's Disease Neuropsychiatry Clinic, which focuses on treating and diagnosing the neuropsychiatric aspects of Parkinson's disease and related disorders. Ben Rossi is also here today. He's an ACE certified trainer, founding member, and chief program officer at a favorite place of mine, uh, In Motion, which is a wellness center for people with Parkinson's in Cleveland, Ohio. He's also the owner of Ability to Perform Training Center. And rounding out our panel today is Rose Truby. Rose is a retired accommodation officer from Bister. United Kingdom. Her husband, Peter, has Parkinson's, and she's a control participant in the Foundation's landmark study, the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, or PPMI, and we'll talk a lot about that later. So a warm welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you. More than welcome. So after the gluttony of the holidays, um, it seems appropriate to start with talking about diet. And This is always a hot topic for those of us living with Parkinson's. Um, And I think that's because eating is so central to our lives and it's really one of those variables that we actually have control over in this disease. So um, I'll start off with this very common question for you, Dr. Pontone, and I've seen it in the Q&A as well. Is there a specific diet that can be recommended with someone with Parkinson's disease or brain health in general? Yeah, so right now there isn't a a lot of scientific evidence about a Parkinson-specific diet. That said, the best evidence diet in general is the Mediterranean diet. And uh, that's one that has a lot of the features that you list up there on the slide. Now, although there isn't a Parkinson-specific diet, there are many Parkinson-specific issues that may influence your dietary needs. So one of them is people with Parkinson's are, on average, likely to have a vitamin D deficiency. And so you want to make sure that you're either supplementing vitamin D or eating foods that are high in vitamin D. The other issue that comes up quite a bit with Parkinson's-related diet questions is protein can interfere with the absorption of the Parkinson's medications. So what do I do to be mindful of that potential confound to my medication efficacy? Uh, uh, Eating uh, certain foods that have high fiber is also very important because I often joke 
if you don't have constipation, you probably don't have Parkinson's. And I, I think that's true for all of us, you know, high fiber uh, diet with fruits and vegetables is really important. And then finally, uh, hydration is an issue that uh, comes into play for many people with Parkinson's because there can be blood pressure changes that increase your risk of falls. And so one of the things that we recommend is that each time you take your medication, instead of just sipping water with the medication, take the whole cup. And then if you do that with each administration, that'll put you off to a good start. So I think those would probably be the, the, the first things that I would comment on in terms of diet. That's great to know. You mentioned the, the diets that are listed on the, on the slide. Um, just to remind people, the Mediterranean diet is actually made up of plant-based foods a lot, uh, whole grains, vegetables, legumes, fruits, nuts, seeds. And they're sort of the foundation of the diet, and then olive oil comes into play, fish and seafood, poultry, dairy in moderation, and very little red meats and sweets, which is hard for some people, but that's what it says. And um, the MIND diet, uh, Dr. Ponton, do you know much about that? It's supposed to have been developed for brains, for our healthy yeah, brains. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the MIND diet was developed really to decrease dementia risk in general. And so it's a combination of the Mediterranean diet and something called the DASH diet, which is a diet to control, uh, to sort of naturally help control hypertension or high blood pressure. And so I, I think uh, the MIND diet uh, probably would be a good choice for people with Parkinson's in general, as long as you don't have other health conditions. And that's where the, um, the wine comes into play, is it not? There was a couple of questions in Q&A about alcohol and, and whether that's okay for people with Parkinson's uh, to take. That's that's one we get a lot. And so, you know, this um, any chronic disease, there's this issue of quality of life. And for many people in many cultures, having wine or alcohol with meals is a quality of life issue. And so the two caveats there are alcohol in excess can certainly increase your risk of falls. So you always want to be mindful of that. Uh, the second is that uh, the studies that show that wine is helpful, you know, possibly mediated through this compound co called resveratrol, it turns out that you need a whole lot. I mean, more than you could drink in an evening, maybe more than you drink in a week. So don't overvalue the, the benefit. If you're going to have wine or alcohol as part of your sort of diet, just make sure you do so in mo moderation, especially given the fall risk. So if you Eat a healthy, well-rounded diet, Dr. Pontone. So you, you stick to something like the MIND diet where you, you have a lot of you know, um, green leafy vegetables and berries and nuts and olive oil and a little bit of fish and that sort of thing. You, do you actually need any supplements? Is, well, like, is there any clear evidence besides the vitamin D that you mentioned, of course? Yeah, so for the most part, uh, we do recommend that People with Parkinson's, certainly when they're diagnosed and then maybe as often as annually get their vitamin D checked, and that should be supplemented if it's low. But otherwise, they're really, um, you know, there's maybe some evidence that vitamin C can facilitate the absorption of levodopa. But again, I, I, uh, at this point, the probably best guidance is to have that sort of well-rounded, healthy diet that is high in fiber. Uh, and low in saturated fats and the things that sort of get us all in the end in terms of our cardiovascular risk. Mm -hmm. That's important to know as well. But what about probiotics? So, you know, there's certainly been a number of studies looking at the uh, microbiome 
uh, in Parkinson's. And uh, just in case anyone's interested, I recently read uh, just an amazing book called I Contain Multitudes. Uh, it was one of the first books out for the lay public about the microbiome. And it turns out that there may be uh, implications regarding the microbiome and probiotics and even the, what's called prebiotics uh, in Parkinson's. We just don't currently have uh, full knowledge of what those implications may be, but it certainly uh, to the extent that it helps uh, you, know, you know, move your bowels and keep your gut healthy, that would be a reasonable thing to do. Very good. Ben, is diet something that you discuss with your clients at the Wellness Center? It is. It's always a, a, a top question that comes up in terms of nutrition um, at, in motion, but it is something that we've recently hired a registered dietitian to, to take a, a strong stab at with our community. And it's something that we will be implementing going forward this year. So, so we're super excited to roll that out. So I really appreciate your, your great information, Dr. Pontone. It's terrific. It's excellent. Yeah, like I said, it's a very, very popular question. Rose, where you are, has your health care team recommended any dietary changes for your husband? No, um, just... Eat, eat healthily, which he does. He tends to have done it himself. He doesn't mm. drink a lot. He he used to. He's never drunk a lot anyway. But since mm. he's had Parkinson's, he seems to have drunk less. He won't, you know, he won't bother. He'll just have a Pepsi or um, a glass of water occasionally. The water's a, a, a problem with him. Um, but he sort of seems to have done it himself, and he's lost weight since mm. he's had Parkinson's. Mm. So he, he is naturally eating what he should, I think. That's good. Sometimes, though, Dr. Pontone, um, weight can become an issue for patients with Parkinson's disease. They can be sort of underweight or, or poor nutritional uh, status. Can you comment a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I was actually uh, part of a group that published a finding in Parkinson's on weight loss over the course of the disease. And it turns out that for the average person with Parkinson's, the Bigger problem is maintaining their weight over the course of the disease. And on average, lower weights or being underweight tends to be associated with worse outcomes. And so that sort of makes the importance of a healthy, nourishing diet even more important in the disease because we want people to be able to maintain their strength over the course of the illness. And one of the things that um, really can burn calories that people aren't aware of is dyskinesia. So they'll say, you know, I feel like I'm eating as much as I've always eaten. I'm not having any trouble swallowing, and yet I'm dropping weight every week. And so, you know, there are certain things in Parkinson's that cause this sort of almost insensible loss, to, loss of weight. And so if you have a situation like that, you definitely want to talk to your neurologist about why you might be losing weight. That's a great point. I think also you may want to ask for a referral to, like Ben was saying, a registered dietitian to help you with that because, you know, things like butter and margarine, cheese, red meat, fried food, pastries, these are not ways to, to gain weight. You need to do it in a healthy, healthy fashion. Luckily, Peter isn't underweight. He's just lost a bit of weight, and that's where he seems to be maintaining. But I will, I'll take note of what you've said. Thank you. <laughs> that's great. There's a couple of questions on the ketogenic diet. Yeah, I can comment on that. I actually have it up in front of me on another screen. So uh, there's been a couple of um, studies of ketogenic diet, and it turns out that, again, this isn't something that we would generally recommend, but at least in this initial study, it looks as if ketogenic diet did improve some of the non-motor symptoms in Parkinson's disease. And so uh, it probably won't end up being a... Um, 
a broad recommendation for everyone with Parkinson's, but possibly mm -hmm. people who have a certain uh, profile of non-motor symptoms that might have a role in the future. But there is ongoing research on, on that particular diet. You're right. I mean, it's probably going to be, we're sort of on a whole spectrum of, of diseases, really, when you look at Parkinson's in terms of our symptoms and what makes us feel better and what works for us. So perhaps diet will be a little bit on that spectrum, too when all said and done. But before we move on to the next slide, I just wanted to bring your attention to the publication on the right-hand side, Parkinson's Disease and Diet, a Practical Guide. You can find a link to it um, in the resource list, and it's a very helpful resource to have. Our next slide is on a topic that we hear over and over again, and rightfully so, and that's exercise. Now, undoubtedly, exercise is good for you. We can't deny that. Parkinson's disease or not, it's good for our hearts, our lungs, our muscles, bones, and even, yes, our brains. Um, ben, let's just start with the work that you do. Say someone who's not newly diagnosed with Parkinson's or hasn't exercised before and has been told that exercise will help, and they come to you. Where do you start? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, what we've learned from the beginning of time with Emotion is, is on education of our clients. That's number one. We have to educate someone. We have to help them understand what they're dealing with. But when it comes to... to how do we get started in exercise? You know, what, what first and foremost, we help them understand what, what the major value of exercise is. And that, that is in turn, that is really translates to your activities of daily living. We want to make sure that we are, you understand that you're going to improve your posture. You can lengthen your stride. You can become less rigid, uh, less fearful, increase your endurance, uh, have better cognitive ability, improve your balance, develop more confidence, better voice volume. Um, less falling. You know, these are all things that, that to develop those areas through exercise that you can live a safer life and you can have a better daily life, day-to-day -day life. I mean, that's really what it needs to translate to. Now, in, in 2021, the Parkinson's Foundation, um, the American Council of Sports Medicine, and just an excellent panelist of uh, health and fitness professionals, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of, involved in, we developed the Parkinson's exercise recommendations. And you know, we know that exercise and physical activity can improve many motor and non-motor Parkinson's symptoms. Um, but what, what, how do you get started? And that, that's really where this question came from, Sonia. And, and really, it's important that you see first a physical therapist or a, a qualified health professional to truly get a full functional evaluation of where you are. We have to understand your benchmark. Secondly, safety. Safety is, is really a top priority when it comes to exercise. Um, it's important that you do this during your on periods or when you take your medications. Um, you know, it's not safe to exercise on your own. And that, you know, when it comes to in motion, we are a community and we do this together. So to work out with a, a, a care partner or to work out with, with other uh, friends that are going through the same situation, that, that's very, very important. It's, it's important to work with qualified um, exercise professionals so that they can modify and or progress your programming as you go based upon where you are. A professional should be able to regress or progress or uh, to, to keep you on, you know, in a continuous improvement situation. Um, the big one, you should participate in 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise each week. Now, this is broken up into really four specific categories, right? So there's a, your aerobic activity. So you can, you know, this is your continuous rhythmic movement, cycling, walking. Uh, if you're capable to run and do that, swimming, that type of situation. Uh, strength training is your second area. 
this is this is working your your major muscle groups, your upper body, your lower body extremities. And yes, weightlifting is okay. Resistance bands are okay. Body weights, handheld dumbbells, these types of things are terrific to use with proper guidance and with proper support. The third category is balance, agility, and multitasking. So multi-directional stepping, working on weight shifting, dynamic balance activities, and balance is always a, a big, big question. Balance is huge. And, and, you know, how do you get started on balance? Where do you go? You know, we have to start slow and controlled and, and do things properly, um, not just jumping onto imbalanced BOSUs or, or, you know, these things that make you lose your balance like crazy. That's not the goal. And, and so we really have to crawl before we walk when it comes to areas like balance and doing it properly. Um, you know, classes like yoga, Tai Chi, dance, boxing, these things that are forcing you to multitask, to weight shift, um, to put you through excellent range of motion, taking you away from your center of mass is, is super, super important. And of course, the fourth category is stretching. And uh, stretching, this is, this is beginning of workout. It's very important to do dynamic stretching active stretching where you're pumping blood to muscles and getting things flowing ready uh, and preparing you uh, to exercise and then post-workout you should be involved in, in what we call static stretching where you're holding your muscles and allowing your muscles to properly cool down so i said 150 minutes of exercise and that's a lot of areas aerobics and strength and balance and multitasking and stretching you can do these individually you can join classes like ed in motion or other area organizations that allow you to, to they use all of these areas in one class. Um, but the goal really is to, how can I achieve my 150 minutes a week? So That's a, that's a wealth of information you gave, Ben. Now the, I've heard a lot of talk about the, the intensity of the exercise that you ha have to achieve in order to reap the benefits of, of doing it optimally, I guess. It's, it's always beneficial to do whatever you can, but it, do you know, um, Anything about that? About intensity of training? No, absolutely. And, I, and when we talk about exercise and Parkinson's or aging population, we're really talking about um, the amplitude of your programming. When we talk about intensity, intensity, you should be able to exercise, and we've heard this since the beginning of time, to where you're able to talk comfortably with someone next to you when you're exercising, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. pushing, you push a little more than you think you can do, um, which is really like the basis of the training that we do here. But everything that we do, in terms of intensity, it has to be large movements, overdone movements, a louder voice, bigger moves. And, and that's, that's the way we approach it because when you're talking about Parkinson's and the slowness of movement, we need to work against that. And we need to counter that type of, of stuff. So, so that's how we monitor our intensity. Right. Thank you. Um, so Dr. Pontone, um, as Ben has described, exercise has a lot of value for people with Parkinson's disease and brain health in general, I think. But what does the science tell us? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I think there was a ton of incredibly important information mm -hmm. in what Ben just said that I sort of want to reinforce. Uh, first of all is uh, exercise of the big three, you know, sleep, diet and exercise might be the single most important in Parkinson's. And I think when we think of exercise, we sort of focus on the physical benefits of exercise and what it'll do for us physically, which is all great and wonderful. But it turns out that in Parkinson's disease and other neurological diseases and in people who don't have neurological diseases, physical exercise may also be the single most important thing you can do for your brain health. And so, you know, let me just tell you some of the specific evidence for 
exercise and different types of exercise in Parkinson's. So, you know, Ben mentioned that there's different types of exercise, so aerobic, anaerobic or resistance training, and then flexibility or range of motion mobility type movements. And all of them are important. All of them have a role. But it turns out that they also specifically benefit different parts of your brain function. So looking at over 18 articles in Parkinson's specifically, aerobic exercise, things like walking on a treadmill, just walking outside, stationary bike, anything that gets that heart pumping seem to help processing speed, attention, reaction time, executive function, which is one of the probably the single most common problems that people with Parkinson's have, and that's problems with organizing, sequencing uh, uh, type tasks, and language. So they've shown this specifically. And oh, by the way, aerobic exercise also seems to lift mood and help depression in Parkinson's. And then although there's less specific research on it, resistance training, you know, whether it's with bands or lifting weights, there's a few studies that looked at this specifically in Parkinson's. And they also showed that it improved performance on measures of executive function and attention. And the physical benefits clearly showed that it improved balance and gait. Now, uh, you know, while flexibility and mobility are very important, we know physically, they haven't been studied as formally for the cognitive benefits, but certainly when combined with things like mindfulness, meditation, and yoga, there's clear uh, benefit to quality of life in the Parkinson's uh, population. Wow. So I guess we can't get out of it. <laughs> Exercise. Well, you know, Exercise ben, is necessary. Ben mentioned that doing it in groups. I think yeah. there's a couple of, I, I have many of the people that I work with in my clinic who do, you know, group Parkinson's exercise, whether it's in places like in motion, or we have something here in Maryland called rock steady boxing and they love the community and it helps keep the intensity up because they're cheering each other on. Right. And I think, you know, that sort of gets two birds with one stone. You're getting the socialization, you're getting the intensity and there's an accountability, right? Because if you don't show up on Thursday, then what am I doing here? Someone's <laughs> going to call you. Yeah. That's right. Is your husband um, involved with any exercise classes or routine? Yeah, sorry. There's a clinic not far from us, um, and it's the Bosworth Clinic, and they, they do exercise for Parkinson's called PD Warrior. So, again, it's doing everything that Ben was saying you have to do. You've got the resistance bands. You've got the stretching. And, it, and they all go out for coffee afterwards, so they get the social thing as well. So, I mean, right. it, that's about the only thing he does do. He used to walk to the, go to the gym, but he stopped doing that when lockdown happened here in England, and he's not got back to it. He keeps saying he's going, um, but he does walk out every day and meet friends, and he goes into town, which is about a 15-minute walk for him, 10, 12 for me. So we very rarely walk together, um, and uh, he's doing that every day. So he is getting his exercise, I'm pleased to say. That's excellent. And we're actually going to touch on the challenges you just mentioned in our next slide. But before we leave this slide, Family Doctor Mean just wants to emphasize what Ben already mentioned, that you should really consult your healthcare professional before you start on an exercise regimen, particularly if you have mobility issues or balance problems or any other illnesses like cardiac disease or heart disease, then that may require a more cautious or supervised approach. A landmark study that could change the way Parkinson's disease is diagnosed, managed, and treated is recruiting participants now. PPMI, or the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, 
needs people with and without Parkinson's, especially people age 60 and up who have close relatives living with the disease. Take a short survey today at michaeljfox.org ppmi to see if you're eligible. That's michaeljfox.org ppmi. On to the next slide, which really speaks to me, because so, even though I've been living with this disease for close to 24 years, and I know that exercise and other self-care habits are, are important, it's a struggle sometimes to get motivated um, some days, and that's my greatest challenge. Um, ben, how do you motivate your clients to keep up their exercise routine? What seems to work? <laughs> All right, well, well you know, I, I love this part. Mentality to me is uh, the name of the game. I am a, a performance coach by trade, IMG Academy in Florida. And one thing we always talked about was motivation and mentality. So, so what I teach and preach in my community um, is the power of 212 degrees. So at 211 degrees, water's hot, but at 212 degrees, water boils. When water boils, it produces steam and steam can power a locomotive. This one degree difference can create so much change. So at InMotion, we focus on becoming 1% better every day. And our mantra is good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. Now, we, we wear this as a patch on our sleeve. It's like armor for us in here, and we all know it. It's almost like we have a little chip on our shoulder around this place. And, and, and it's important that you have that. It, 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 it's exciting. And, and um, you know, they kind of bounce off each other. We all are here fighting the same fight, doing the same thing. Um, you know, it's important that we help our clients understand or our, our participants understand that they need to embrace their situation and not hide from it, number one. Um, they need to take charge of making a difference in themselves. It's important that, you know, self-efficacy and the belief in yourself is a huge, huge thing. And, and we always talk about being a, a warrior versus a worrier. And, and, you know, but when a community of warriors come together, that's powerful. And it's hard to beat that. Um, and, and it's really what you need uh, to, to work against, you know, this isolating disease. Um, you know, in my mind, so, some strong tips to get started, I suppose, um, for those that it's very tough for. I, I think it's understanding where you are now uh, is really what matters to help you determine your benchmark to go forward. Uh, determining, like, you know, to de develop strategies for your specific and personal journey, success journey when it comes to exercise and wellness. You know, we always say it's one thing to be in motion, but it's another thing to really take action. And, and you know, and Parkinson's doesn't stop. So, so neither can you when it comes to developing your action plan um, to really attack it and address it head on. You know, so like I said, it, it matters about your personal exercise story. And you then you need to, Identify a few action steps in my mind uh, to do that. You know, number one would be like identifying your current level of exercise. Are you someone that exercises regularly? Or you don't exercise, but you stay active during the day, or, or you're just mostly sedentary? You know, we know that that's 75% of the day for someone with Parkinson's is typically sedentary. So, so it's important that you add that action. And so how about determining your barriers to exercise? What's holding you back? You know, what, what's holding you back? Is it time? Do you need an accountability partner? Are you lazy? Maybe, right? Or, and I've heard this in minutes, I just don't like exercise. Well, listen, this is something that's so massively important to your life. Whether you like it or not, it's something that you need to do. And, you know, so 
So what about determining the, um, the extent to which you, you currently exhibit your self-efficacy, your belief in, in certain areas? Do you accept the responsibility of your own well-being? Uh, do you set goals for yourself and work towards them? Do you replace unha- unhealthy habits with healthy ones? All things to think about. Do you follow a regular Parkinson-specific exercise routine, one of amplitude-based, like I mentioned before? Right? right? Do you persevere in the face of difficulties? And do you focus on the positive? Are you a use-it-to-improve-it person? Right? And that th- these are things that I think about and we like to preach to our community, for sure. Yeah, those are all very important, Ben. That sort of self-reflect, honest self-reflection <laughs> is, is really important to developing a plan. But Dr. Pontone, you know very well of depression and apathy, lack of energy. These are very real issues that people with Parkinson's face, and they can really in, interfere with that, that, that person's motivation to take care of themselves. Do you have any advice, like when somebody should maybe seek their healthcare provider's assistance? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think if you have noticed that your mood is low more often than not, and that you lack initiative and you're less interested in the things you usually enjoy, or even if someone, let's say your care partner drags you to an event that you usually like and you don't enjoy it, those can be signs of depression or apathy and they need to be treated. Uh, The other one we see is people are so anxious about everything that might go wrong when they leave the house that they avoid activities. And so those are barriers that can be addressed. We have good treatments for those sort of things. And so if you recognize those, be proactive and go talk to your healthcare providers. I think that's great advice, actually. Rose, have you faced challenges getting your husband motivated to exercise? It sounds like he's been doing a fairly good job. He, he, um, He can be lazy. But he generally, he does his walking every day. And sometimes he's out all day. They go somewhere on the bus, walk around and then come home. They usually find lots. He's got about three or four friends that are really good who take him out. Mm-hmm. And they understand and they're there supporting him. Um, if he can't drive, which may happen sort of in the next six months or so, he might have a problem getting to his Parkinson's class. But I will do that every time I can. But, you know, it's sometimes it isn't possible. And if I suggest he get a taxi, he gets upset. So, I mean, that's my sort of, that's how do you try and encourage somebody to do that? I know it's a minor thing, but, you know, it's useful if anybody can help me with how to encourage him to try that I, I mean i think that brings up a really good point and that's the you know it's not just mindset sometimes that um acts as a barrier to to pursuing this part of your your management sometimes people can't get to a center or group class either due to external circumstances like COVID, or the centers themselves have closed because of government restrictions or due to lack of transportation or mobility issues advanced disease um how, what do you recommend, Ben, for instance, like how has InMotion been able to pivot their work and what do you recommend for patients to do if they're stuck at home? Uh, there are, you know, the biggest thing with InMotion is, like I mentioned before, we know that Parkinson's doesn't stop, so neither can we in terms of our care that we provide or the participants that are involved. And it, when this crazy time hit us and COVID hit us, we, we had to pivot immediately to a, a recorded video platform. So that's number one. There are so many great organizations. I mean, on our website, you can access stuff for InMotion and, and participate in, in 
programming for all levels of individuals. Uh, so that's first and foremost. Find recorded programming. Number two is is you know if you're very if you're comfortable if you're able to participate in something like this, you could participate in a Zoom workout. We have a full active Zoom workout uh, schedule going on. We we just pivoted back in January. We are back on Zoom again in our community. Not that any of us are happy about it, but it is what we have. And it's what we do, and we bring the best of the best that we possibly can to our, our individuals. So, you know, those are always two amazing opportunities. Yes, access to care is a huge, huge topic that we always talk about. Um, developing remote services and working with those that don't have the access that, that some do. Um, you know, finding, looking into local transportation. Uh, all these things are, are, are a huge topic right now, and then we're all trying to tackle them. So those are my main two that we focus on for sure. Yeah, it's pretty multifactorial what goes into getting someone to an exercise class, actually. Rose, you mentioned PD Warriors. Um, I believe they have an online uh, class available as well. Is yes, that true? he was doing that, um, but he can't, he's not, I mean, he does have, he's been diagnosed with Lewy bodies. So he is also struggling to do the technology so if I, again, if I'm not here, that makes it very difficult for him to get onto anything like that. So for us, the walking is his main quest, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he has done it on online, but I've had to be here to help him get on in the first place. Right. That's a good point on doing what you can, Rose. I mean, you, you yeah. do what you have access to and what you can accomplish. That's the truth too. Yeah. You know, we go yeah. where we can. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'd love him to do more, walk faster, but, you know, he he's 71. He's quite set in his ways. <laughs> but he still is still doing as much as he can do. I will give him that. That's really important. And that kind of will tie into um, a couple slides from now when we talk about building a care team that will help you in, in the management of, of your loved one. Um, the next slide, I'm just going to move on, is about... PPMI, because we're talking about changes in behavior and habits to adopt, and I would really encourage you to consider participating in research in some way, because without our participation as a patient community, the search for better treatments and a cure it can't be successful. The Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, also known as PPMI, is the Foundation's landmark uh, research study. This is a study that we say could change everything about how Parkinson's is diagnosed, treated, and potentially prevented. And the study recently expanded. Um, thousands have already taken the first step to join PPMI. Thousands more volunteers with or without Parkinson's are needed. And the online part of the study is open to anyone over 18 in the United States and hopefully will go international so people like me up here in Canada and other parts of the world can, can sign up. Um, you can get started, started in the study or learn more about um, the study by clicking the Get Started button in the Take Action box. And there's also some um, information in the resource list as well. Now, Rose, I know you were involved or you are involved in the original PPMI study that's still ongoing. What made you join and what was that? What has that experience been like for you? I suppose um, I joined not because so much Peter had it, but a friend of mine who I used to see years ago and lost touch with moved to Vista from Oxford and um, we met up and she'd been diagnosed with it and she was doing the course, the, the study, as a somebody with Parkinson's. And she just said, would I be interested? So I thought, yeah, I can't, I couldn't run a marathon to raise money for it, but this is something I can do. And I thought, well, you know, it's not going to hurt me. And in fact, 
a little bit selfishly, I know that my brain is reasonably okay because I'm I'm still a control subject, you know. It, and I just felt my son ran the marathon. I trained with him to encourage him to do it, but I can't do something like that. So I thought this would be the way for me forward. That's so, amazing. I've done, the, I've done the first six, like the, you do it every six months, where you do. Um, I had the lumbar puncture and the DAT scan and the MRI and all the cognitive and smell tests. Next next week, I'm on my second part where I just do the cognitive test, um, the smell test, and I think there's one other bit, but my memory's failed me. <laughs> Rose, no, I mean, thank you. I mean, that's such a selfless action. I mean, you're literally giving of yourself um, for the betterment of our Parkinson's community, and I, I really um, extend my gratitude to you for sure. Um, no, it's fine. It's, it's something I can do. We all can do something, but it's it's um, really heartwarming when we see that action take place, as, as Ben was talking. Thank you. Um, our next slide talks about um, building your healthcare team, and that's what I mentioned earlier. Um, living well isn't a solo endeavor in my mind. We're not islands unto ourselves. We do best when we're surrounded by a team of people that are committed to helping us optimize our quality of life. And the members of that team will vary from person to person. And so to go back to you, Rose, because you were discussing about having, not being there all the time, not being able to encourage your husband in ways that he may need at certain times when you're not around. Have you sort of built a care team for his health management? Um, not really, because we, we seem to be doing okay as we are. I mean, as I say, I've got friends who will come over and help me if I have a problem with the house, which Peter can't deal with. Um, I've got my sons who will help out when they can. And he's got his friends who are really good with him. They they make sure they see him once a week. And that, I suppose, in a way, that is his care package, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you are the, the most vital part of your husband's care team. But you also have to remember, as you have to take care of yourself and, and build your own support network. I walk every day with one of my neighbours, who, incidentally, has also done the PPMI thing. Oh, wow. Um, we walk every day, morning, we get up at 7.30, go for a walk, come back and I'm home by sort of half eight, nine o'clock when Peter's getting up. So I've done that and then we walk into town again a bit later, my husband, like Peter and I, and I just make sure I walk a lot and have friends. I've got friends who I see on a Friday that I used to do a martial art with. I still meet with them. So, you okay. know, you, I've got that. I think that's important for the care partners who are listening to understand that they need that respite. Um, ben, at In Motion, how important is a team approach in improving the quality of life of the people that come in? Everything, only everything. I think. I think there's a uh, you know, at In Motion, we're fortunate to have all of the forms of exercise and wellness under one roof. So we have our Rock City boxing class. We have. Our, our signature Better Every Day exercise class, which is our large amplitude movement, multitasking, cognitive work, uh, mindful movement, yoga, spinning. Uh, we have our pole striding class, a drums alive in our facility, Tai Chi. You know, so so the idea, I think the, the point of saying that is that it takes all forms of care. They're all evidence-based. So it's important to participate and expand your care team of exercise specialists. You know, so so I, I think that there should be a major, there needs a, as far as care of people with Parkinson's, you need to focus on neurologists, movement disorder specialists, 
seeking a physical therapist, you have that one-on-one attention, and then finding community exercise to, to, to build that socialization and to expand outside of that one-on-one approach and to work your abilities from all angles. Very, very important. So, so the expansion of care team um, is everything. I mean, that really is, is what you need. You, you can't, like, we, like Sonia said and everybody else said, you can't do this on your own. And why would you? Don't do that to yourself. Expand, expand, expand. You know, broaden your horizons a bit and get involved in something that maybe you haven't done before. You know, something yeah. that, that may make you a little more uncomfortable, something that you're not used to doing. Step out of your the box a bit. Absolutely. And as I mentioned before, the, the members of your healthcare team are will, will differ, you know, from patient to patient. You mentioned physio, there's also OT, there's, you know, social work, there's um, massage therapists. Depending on where you are in your stage and age of um, disease, it, it, it will make a difference. Um, Dr. Pantone, I'm, I'm fairly lucky. The people that attend Emotion are fairly lucky. Rose's husband, that we've been sort of able to build a fairly solid team of health professionals, allied health professionals, to help with the challenges that come our way. But not everyone is as lucky. And do you want to elaborate on that disparity a little bit? Yeah. So we're fortunate, at least in the American healthcare system, that insurance covers a lot of these important services. So, you know, for us, you need that movement disorder specialist neurologist. That's invaluable okay and that sort of works almost like the primary medical doctor does in the traditional medical model they're the sort of ringleader in addition referral to physical therapy is really important okay occupational therapy so the way i like to think of these and this is a little bit reductionist is physical therapy is going to work on uh, with you on sort of being as strong and as able best balance risk mitigation for falls on the individual Occupational therapy is going to help you modify the environment to sort of decrease all those same risks. And then one that we don't talk about much, I think, in in public forums, but we should in the hospital, they're very important, is something called speech language pathology. And they're a type of therapist that helps facilitate communication, effective speech, but also in later parts of the disease addresses things like trouble with swallowing that is if you were to think of the number one and two biggest risks for people over the course of Parkinson's, it's the, the risk of falls and the risks of what we call aspiration pneumonia. And so this care team sort of covers all of those bases, not just in avoiding bad things, but also living the best that you can while you have the disease and, and ideally, you know, fighting every day. Because that's, that's the thing that Ben, you know, keeps mentioning is every day you wake up and it's, I'm going to win, you know, and that's that's the point here is that you have that focus and it gives you a reason to do this. But I want to plug one more specialist that's often left off this list, and that's the mental health care specialist, whether it's a therapist or a psychiatrist. Keeping your head right. If you're not motivated, if you're depressed, none of these other things happens. So keep that there, too, as an active strategy. Absolutely. And those are that's sort of your ideal health care team for sure. Unfortunately, there are more underrepresented populations that don't have access to that. And the foundation is actually working to address these issues um, and resolving these inequities in access to care. Um, They're advocating to expand Medicare coverage for dental, hearing and vision care. And if if you actually, if you'd like to add your voice to these efforts, there's a link in the resource list. And another effort by the foundation is to fund research study 
that will look into the challenges, diagnosis, health outcomes, and disease experience in underrepresented populations, I think is really, really important. Um, our next slide is kind of like a fast fire discussion, but because um, you know we've focused on diet and exercise and, and building your care team, all which are very, very important. Um, but there's a couple of things on here that I particularly want to talk about. And the first is sleep, because as we age, our sleep patterns change. You add Parkinson's disease to the mix, and sleep issues can really become very bothersome. Dr. Ponton, what do we know about sleep and brain health? So uh, again, I want to mention another book, because this is probably the best summary of the importance of sleep in general to people. It's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It's a, a book that sort of details all we know about sleep and its importance. And in Parkinson's, uh, it's particularly important. So getting a good night's sleep, uh, you know, there's no magical number of hours you need, but for most people, somewhere more than six hours and less than nine or 10. So there's, there is such a thing as too much is, is a good number in terms of promoting ideal health. It's good for your physical health. It's good for your mental health and in terms of emotionally, and it's good intellectually for keeping you as sharp as possible. <laughs> Unfortunately, Parkinson's attacks your ability to sleep in several different ways. And so probably the best thing you can do is establish a healthy habit of sleep where each night you have a routine where you basically get ready for sleep. You know, you're not getting... Uh, involved in things that are mentally taxing in the hour or two before sleep, you're sort of winding down. And so uh, there are definitely books about sleep hygiene. And I would say that's the first place to start before you even think about medications. That's great to know. I, I got to take some of that advice. I give it all the time, but I rarely take it, unfortunately. <laughs> and what about training your brain? Do you have any um, advice about that, Dr. Bonta? What does that mean exactly? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I, I think is really important is if you have good sleep hygiene, your brain and body will naturally learn to sleep more efficiently each night. And so uh, as you get ready for bed, you know, and you have this ritual or routine, uh, if you don't fall asleep right away, you know, let's say it's more than 20 minutes, we actually recommend you get up out of bed and do something that isn't stimulating and doesn't involve ideally technology. So maybe reading a book or just listening to soft music, do that until you start to drift off again and then get back in bed. And although that may take several days, eventually people find that they're able then to sleep more and more. Now, if you run into a problem, let's say you have REM sleep, behavioral disorder, restless legs, or other things that might interface with your Parkinson's, some people's medications wear off in the middle of the night and they're stiff and rigid and they can't sleep because they're uncomfortable, then you need to start bringing in you know, health professionals to help right. with the sleep. What about during the day? How can we help train our brain during the day in terms of brain health in general? Yeah. So uh, staying active and connected, it turns out that just being social and engaging in structured activities, uh, physical exercise, absolutely probably one of the most important things. People often ask, hey, are brain games important? Sure. Anything that engages your brain is important. Are they more important than exercise or socialization? At least not so far that we can tell through formal study. But you really want, even if you're retired, you really want to keep a sort of vigorous social calendar. Uh, I know it's hard during the pandemic, 
but you really want to have things to look forward to, uh, forward to throughout the week. Rose, has Peter been able to incorporate some of these sorts of activities to help keep him occupied and motivated? Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, no, let me think about that. I'm not really sure. He's, um, he, bets, he bets on the horses. He goes to the betting office every day and he right. picks horses. He looks and he thinks about it and he does that. And he quite often wins quite a lot of money. Other times he doesn't, but he doesn't lose a lot. Um, right. That's that's his way of motivating himself to walk, mm. you know. Um, and I mm. think the other thing I do worry about is he sits on his iPad and plays games but he will do that right till he goes to bed and then he can't sleep. So you saying one to two hours before is very useful. I can now tell him. <laughs> That's a good thing to take away from this for sure. And Ben, yeah, when you were talking about exercise, you were talking about things like directional change. Are there certain exercises that are more useful for brain health and that sort of thing that you you know of? I well, I'll, I'll, let me spin off of what everybody else said. I think one of the things that we preach a lot about here is the importance of taking a nap. I think that naps are important. I think that, I think this is where um, mindfulness, the mindful movement practice, that type of approach in terms of winding down and getting in, in your mind to relax and calm you is, is very important. Uh, mm -hmm. The value of static stretching before we go to sleep at night to, to calm our body down. Um, is is of utmost important, um, but brain health and that type of work. That's why we we you know we talk about exercise for brain change. We we right. tie in um, you know that vigorous exercise component um, plus some type of skill to go with it. When we tie those two together, and there's a synergy of brain and muscle working together, that's exercise for brain change. It's not just pumping weights. You know, or doing that type of, it, it's beyond that. And it's very specific and, and it's important that, that, you know, if you're going to embark on an exercise program, which we want you to do 100%, that you are focused and doing an evidence-based practice in that way, for sure. Excellent. Well, I think we have a few minutes to take some um, audience questions. Um, one that seems to have come up goes back to our diet. And I think you mentioned this, um, Dr. Fontaine, but there Wondering about the timing of the protein consumption related to medication. Yeah, so that's really tricky because most people who have Parkinson's disease have to take medications throughout the day, you know, maybe every three, four, five hours. So if that's the case, when are you going to eat uh, protein, <laughs> right? Because you need to have a certain amount of protein. So what we tell people is for the most part, unless you're having clear problems with sudden offs or early wearing off, don't worry about it too much. You know, obviously you wouldn't want to have a protein shake with your medication. If you can separate it by, you know, an hour or so would be ideal. But I always tell people, once you get into those intervals that are, you know, less than four or three hours, it's just, you know, eat what you have to eat to maintain your weight. And the neurologist can help you sort it out using other uh, augmentation strategies. Mm -hmm. Great. Ben, this one's for you. What are top exercises for people with Parkinson's? Anything that can hurt or harm? Uh, right. That's a huge question. Well, safety first, like I said before. So if it's done right with proper guidance and the right type of coach in the room with you, you know, you can do, you can be just fine. The things when it comes to harmful uh, what can damage me, I think, of balance training and someone progressing too quickly. 
you know, we are encouraged to focus on base of support and, and a proper balance program should be one that we are slowly narrowing base of support um, and adding different components in so that we are challenging balance before we get on to things, like I said before, um, in balance surfaces and that type of stuff. So being very mindful about how we do that. But um, the best exercise is one that is large amplitude that's that's helping you move bigger and faster with higher effort and better intentional focus. Um, you know, building the foundations of function are huge. Any of those types of things. Um, mm. Exercises like power moves, Parkinson's wellness recovery out of Arizona, some of the best stuff because they really focus on amplitude and working big. Um, and, and exercises that focus on rotation, getting out of a chair, uh, weight shifting, that type of work, big, large steps. These are, these are exercises that you need. And you can find those in all of those great programs that are out there. Like I said, our Better Everyday program, Tai Chi, uh, dance, mindfulness or yoga type practice, spinning. So they all are valuable to you. They're all evidence-based. And it's just a matter of getting started. That's the key, getting started. Um, there is one question more that I've actually gotten a lot of myself I've heard people ask, and that's on milk and Parkinson's. And is there any association with milk consumption and, and onset of Parkinson's or severity of Parkinson's that you know of, Dr. Fontaine? Yeah, so uh, in looking through the literature on diet uh, leading up to this talk, there is uh, some evidence. There's a study by Gao. Uh, he's the senior author, uh, G-A-O is the last name. And it does appear that in some cases when there's contaminants in the milk, it could uh, increase the risk of Parkinson's in some cases. Now, this isn't something where we're saying, hey, don't drink milk at Parkinson's. Uh, but I can tell you that heavy milk consumption is not part of those uh, mind or Mediterranean diets. They really want you to decrease dairy. So uh, again, you know, hopefully more research will uh, bring that association a, a bit clearer. But right now it looks like it's contaminants rather than the milk itself. That's good to know, great. So um, as we come to the end of our time together, I would like to ask each of you one final question. And so as we start out this new year, what is the one resolution that you think will benefit someone with Parkinson's disease or someone aging in general? What is the one change that they can make in their lives that will help them live well? I know there's a multitude, but if you had to pick one change that someone makes today, um, who would like to go first? How about you, Ben? Oh, he came to me first. <laughs> I would go and download the Parkinson's exercise guidelines. And I would have those at my fingertips. And right. I would I would focus on setting goals for myself. Writing things on a mirror. Use sticky mm -hmm. notes. Something that you see every day. And find yeah. your best friend and start exercising together. That's what I would do. That's great advice. Dr. Pontone? I, I think, um, you know, just... From what I've seen and the people I work with, you have to get connected because you can't, if you're on an island and you think this is just happening to you, it's so much harder to wake up every day and fight. You need to get a community around you. And I think it's going to inspire you and hold you accountable to exercise and follow-up visits and all the things you need to do to stay healthy. You really need that community. And it turns out that that interaction, that social interaction is also nourishing. So there's that if you were going to do one thing, that's what I was get connected with a community of people just like you who are suffering from the same disease and put your you know effort together to fight this thing. Yeah, well, sir. Great. 
piece of advice. Rose? I think for me, it would be to, I tend to, to let, I tend to take over when Peter's struggling. And I think my resolution should be to make him do it himself more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's too easy for me to step in and do it. So I think that's mine. And that's, I think, quite an important one for a lot of people. Because sometimes it is easier to do it yourself than try and explain. Right. Very, very important point. Absolutely. I think mine would be to tell people that they can't, they have to take an active role in their management. You can't be a bystander, passive bystander, expect to live well with this disease. It takes you looking at the variables that you have control over, such as the ones that we talked about today. We don't have control over the disease, but we have control over certain variables and being proactive in that for sure. So a big thank you to our panel. Did anyone want to add anything else in? Yeah, uh, they asked about me repeating the titles of those two books. Oh, so sure. one is Why Sleep uh, mm-hmm. by Matthew Walker. And then the other one, if you have any interest in the microbiome in general, it's called I Contain Multitudes by Ed Yon, Y-O-N-G. And and they're just outstanding. They're, they're sort of uh, hopefully, uh, if you have an interest, and they'll have some impact on Parkinson's down the road as well. Very interesting. Thank you for those resources. So a big thank you to our panel again, Rose, Ben, Dr. Pontone, for taking the time to share your expertise and your experience with us today. Your advice and discussion, I know, were invaluable for a lot of people listening and for myself as well. And thank you to those that join us today. It's a pleasure and a true privilege to have you as part of our community. And remember, those of us with Parkinson's really have no choice in our diagnosis, but how we face the challenges is really ours to determine. So empower yourself by educating yourself as much as you can about this disease. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and stay connected. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.